Well, we have but uh, one verse to, to look at. Uh, is in Genesis uh, 3.15. You should know where to turn in your Bibles uh, for uh, Genesis there. It shouldn't be too far from the uh, opening of the page. Now, last week, I, I preached on the, um, the, the sermon that's on the, about the road to Emmaus, where Jesus has two disciples, and he's opening to them the scriptures, explaining how the scriptures, all the scriptures, are proclaiming him, leading up to his death, his resurrection. And he will do that later on in that same chapter in Luke uh, 24, again, teaching them. All the scriptures are pointing to him. Well, we're going to, for five Sundays, take a look at some of those scriptures and to to see what he would have been uh, teaching his disciples, seeing how what for us is the Old Testament is understood in the light of, of Jesus Christ. Well, in the beginning, as the scriptures tell us, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the sun, the moon, the stars. He created the, the earth, the ground, the, the mountains, and all the creatures that dwell in, in the sky, on, on the earth, uh, under the, the seas. Everything is created. And finally, he created man. Genesis 1, 27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. As we know, God placed the man and the woman in the garden. And his intention for them was that they would eventually multiply and fill the earth. So that all of the earth, in a sense, would be this great garden of Eden, a, a place of blessing a place where God is glorified through obedience, uh, through service, and certainly through worshiping him. But God had an enemy, a creature that was created before the world, a creature who had been one of the angels. He had rebelled against God. God had struck him down along with a host of other angels that had gone to this enemy's side. Though defeated, this enemy remained dangerous. And when God created the world, he slipped in. And the result is what we know as the fall. Satan, the very definition of of that name, means adversary. He successfully tempted Eve, and he led both, both the woman and the man, Adam, to sin against God. God then pronounced punishment on all three of the parties. He pronounced curses. And he first turned to Satan, who was in the form of a serpent. Now we come to our text. Let me begin with verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, verse 15 is both a pronouncement of war, and it is also a prophecy of victory. The temptation in the garden, you might say, was Satan's pearl harbor. He had sneaked in, Before war had been declared, he came unsuspected on his enemy, and he attacked. 
Now, God's curse was his declaration of war to him. It is going to be between man and Satan. And there was going to be an ongoing battle between Satan and his forces against the offspring of Eve. Satan would claim the world as his dominion. He would take many of Eve's offspring under his own power. They would, they would go to his side. And indeed, all of Eve's offspring would bear this death mark of sin. Before this, there was no death. Now death has entered. But there would always remain a remnant, a line throughout the generations who would be faithful to God. And so we've seen this through the ages. There would be two kind of competing humanities, those of the, of the world's kingdom, which is under the sway of Satan, and then those under God's kingdom. The next two chapters of Genesis, we can see these these kingdoms or these two humanities uh, being uh, explained in the genealogies, being revealed that way. There is the genealogy of Cain, who, as the apostle John had claimed, belongs to the evil one. And from his genealogy, he produces someone such as Lamech, who also kills a man. He even glory in his deed. He exalts in the killing that he did. But Eve gives birth to another son, to Seth, whom she celebrates as a, as a replacement of Abel, who had been killed by Cain. And from Seth comes a godly line. It includes Enoch, who we're told walked with God and was just taken up to God. After Seth is introduced, it is said that people began to call on the name of the Lord. And this godly line eventually becomes nationalized as Israel, the covenant people of God. Now what characterizes the relationship between these two humanities is that enmity that is spoken of in Genesis 3.15. And Satan hates God. And he hates anyone who worships God. And so he uses his legions, his kingdom, those who have come under his sway to harm God's kingdom and God's people. And so the people of Israel are continually oppressed. They are oppressed in their beginnings in in Egypt. They are oppressed when they finally enter into Canaan and all that period under the judges. Indeed, throughout their period as the kings, they are constantly under under, uh, attack. So that eventually the northern kingdom of Israel is conquered, it is scattered, and the southern kingdom of Judah is later on conquered and sent into captivity. Even so, there always remains a remnant that is faithful to God, that is preserved by God. But there's something more that's going on here than just, you know, Satan's kingdom being spiteful. You know, they just hate those, those do-gooders, okay? Besides battle being declared in Genesis 3.15, remember there was also a prophecy. And it's a prophecy of victory. Somewhere, sometime, a champion will arise from the descendants of Eve. And that offspring will bruise the head of Satan. In other words, he will produce a decisive blow. And so Satan will attack the godly line. He'll keep striking. 
in an effort to prevent the champion from being conceived. It's, it's like the Terminator. You know that Terminator? Arnold Schwarzenegger? His fellow cyborgs sending back in time because they're about to lose their, their battle because a champion is, is fighting against them. So he's sent back to prevent that champion from being born. Okay? Well, that's what's happening here. Satan, he knows the prophecy. He's trying to stop it ahead of time. Now, thank goodness, you know, thank goodness Arnold fails, okay? But you remember the enemy later on sends an even a more advanced assassin who's going to try to kill the champion now that he's born. Again, the same thing happens. The champion is born, so all the more the enemy seeks his death. You see this. What happens when Christ is born? Satan stirs in Herod's heart. What does he do? To tempt, he tempts to slay the newborn Messiah in Bethlehem. Joseph has to take his son to Egypt. And even then, when he returns later, he moves back to Nazareth to be far away from the new Herod that has, has taken his father's place. When, John, uh, when Jesus is baptized by John, and he's revealed now as the Messiah to come, Satan tries to repeat his success that he had had in the garden. He finds Jesus this time in the wilderness. He tries to tempt him, but he fails. He's unable to do so. In fact, he himself is defeated because Jesus wields the sword of God's word. But Satan does not give up. He attempts again Jesus' premature death. When Jesus preaches in his hometown of Nazareth, after they hear him preach, they try to throw him off the cliff. And it tells, we're told in Luke 4.30, that he passed through their midst. Another time he tried to stir up others to stone him, John 10, verse 31, but they failed to follow through on that. There were other attempts made to arrest Jesus, all of which failed. Now, we know that eventually he is arrested, he is beaten, and he is killed, but it is at God's timing, and it is for God's purpose of redemption. It is fulfilling the mission for which Jesus came. Now, Jesus try, I mean, Satan even tries to use Jesus' own disciples to avert his mission. You know that poignant scene, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people think I am? And they give all these answers. He says, who do you think that I am? And Peter makes that great confession. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus blesses Peter for making a statement. He says, boy, that kind of statement, this is what the church is going to be built on. The gates of hell are not going to be able to prevail against that. And then he starts talking about his mission in which he's going to suffer, he's going to die. And the same Peter stands up. And let me read this portion from Matthew 16. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
It seems like Jesus is throwing a little bit of a temper tantrum here. I mean, this, this remark about Satan. But the truth is, is that Jesus is recognizing that Satan at that moment is using Peter with all of Peter's good intentions to tempt him. And what is this temptation? To avoid the cross. To give up his mission. Okay. Satan doesn't want Jesus on that cross. Or, or more to the point, he doesn't want Jesus to accomplish his mission on the cross. I mean, he's happy to see Jesus go through a tortuous death. That's, he doesn't have a problem with that. But what his problem is, is that through that work that Jesus is going to do, his head will be bruised. It will be crushed. That's what he's trying to prevent. What was being foretold in Genesis 3.15. Now Satan has four tactics, basically, which he's been trying to defeat this prophecy. This, this offspring who's going to bruise his head. He, he tries to prevent the offspring's birth. Okay. Still he's born. Okay, well, now he tries to kill the offspring before he accomplishes the mission. That's not working. He, he tries to tempt the offspring to forego his mission. That's what he was trying to do there in the wilderness and through Peter. Okay. And then, well, that's not working. He's at least trying to tempt Jesus to commit a sin. That's all he needs. One sin. Just even a sinful thought, okay? And that will ruin his mission. But he fails. Every tactic fails. Every fight, every battle, every means of deceit, every conniving fails. The best that he could do, that Satan could do, was strike the heel of this promised champion. And the champion delivered the decisive blow against his head. That champion, who is our champion, broke the power of reigning sin. He set the people free from the bondage of sin. He, he broke the power of death, which no longer has victory over Christ's people. He broke the power of Satan, who no longer reigns over us. Sin can no longer use the law of God to bring down God's wrath against us. Satan can no longer accuse us. Our advocate is Jesus Christ who defends us. Now, there may still be a war going on, but D-Day took place on that cross. Final victory was secured. Our champion won the decisive battle on the cross. He bruised the, shepherd's, the, the serpent's hand. And our enemy shall one day be thrown into the lake of fire, never to return. That's what Genesis 3.15 is all pointing towards. Now what do we learn from our brief text today? Well, again, we learn that God, our creator, had a good plan for us, for his creation, and that even though Satan had marred the creation, even though he sowed evil for us, God would not be thwarted for his good intentions for us, for his plan. Even as he judged our father and our mother, even as he was pronouncing curses, he was declaring a promise. Send a champion for us. We learn how all of history, as it is recorded in the scriptures, it chronicles the war between Satan and God's people. 
It delineates how that war has reached its climactic point by the work of our champion on the cross. It tells us this, that Christ is not one of many topics in the, in the Bible, in, in the Old Testament. And, and you might be able to find a verse here or a verse there that, that makes reference to it. All of the scriptures lead up to him. And then they look back to the cross. And so here are the challenges for us. First, we must remember, we must remember who has won the victory and by what means. In fact, we need to remember what the victory is. It is the victory over sin, over death, and over Satan. They no longer hold power over our souls. And they might still exist for a time. They certainly do. But they cannot separate us. They cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. They no longer own us. They no longer enslave us. The victory on the cross by Jesus is our victory. Because our champion claims us. He fought for us. And he will not let us be snatched out of his hands. It will not happen. The second, we still need to remember that we, we do have an enemy. Satan is still alive and active. And he seeks to undermine us personally. Now, he has suffered a mortal wound, but he has not died yet. And he is all the more dangerous in his pain, all the more desirous to wound God's people. And he will wreak as much damage as he can. Now, how will he do so? Well, he's got many tactics. He has the sinful pleasures of the, of the world to, by which to tempt us. He can attack our vulnerable, weak flesh. But here's his, his purpose. Here's what he's trying to do with all these temptations and, and these sins. He's trying to estrange us from our Father. He can't, he can't snatch us out of the Father's hands. But he can tempt us to feel that we have been snatched out. That we have been shut out of God's family. When we sin, what is our natural tendency if we're Christians? We, We fail with shame and we act like our father and our mother and we hide ourselves from him. It's a shame. It's a rightful shame. But we when we hide out of shame, we have distanced ourselves from God the Father. And what we need to remember is the Scriptures. And what do the Scriptures tell us? Christ has won our victory. He still intercedes for us as our high priest. That when we sin, that sin has been forgiven. That's what our champion did for us on the cross. It's because we keep sinning. That's why he had to come. That's why he's on that cross. And we have not been separated from God our Father. We've got to remember what our hope is in. Our hope is in the work of our champion, Jesus Christ. And when we sin, all the more than we need to turn to our Father who has not turned away from us. He receives us back. We need to return to our Lord Jesus Christ. He still loves us. It's not forgotten us. That's what Satan wants us to believe. Don't believe his lie. 
He is the father of lies. We remember who has won our victory. We remember that Satan is still attacking us. But we keep looking at the truths that are in God's word for us. And in third, we need a vision. We need vision to see through what seems to be the great power of Satan. And we need to see through that to the greater power of God. There's a story that's told in 2 Kings in chapter 6. Elijah, uh, an army has been sent to capture the prophet of Elijah. And um, a servant of Elijah comes out. And let me begin reading this. When the servant of the man of God, this is Elijah's servant, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with with horses and and chariots was, was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And we are not likely to be granted that kind of a vision. But we have been granted already the vision that's revealed in Scripture already revealed back in Genesis 3:15 of what the, of the war that's taking place but more importantly of the victory that is already ours our champion prophesied at the beginning of mankind has come Genesis 3:15 has been fulfilled he has won the decisive victory he has bruised the serpent's head And he is continuing now to bring all things under the rule of God his Father. And the day will come when he lays all these things before his Father's feet. Let us open our eyes to the pages of Scripture and see the victory of our Lord. We do give you thanks, our God, for the great victory of our champion, our Lord Jesus Christ. And give you praise for his great work that he has bruised, he has crushed uh, the head of Satan we look to that day when he returns in all of his glory to claim us. In his name we pray. Amen.